Ah, beloved, I'm Pastor Trey, and you're now listening to the New Living Translation. This is Bonafide Bible Talk, because God speaks my language too, and I'm sure enough about to act like it. Let's go. Alright, hear me out. The tagline of this podcast is Bonafide Bible Talk with Pastor Trey. That's me, if you ain't know, I'm I'm Trey. That's my face on the cover of this podcast. Which might seem a little egotistical, but I was trying to manage expectations, so y'all kinda knew who and what she was dealing with. In any case, I bring that tagline up because I want y'all to know that bona fide means real. And when I say it's with Pastor Trey, me, that guy, it means that my personal point of view is going to take up a great deal of space in this here platform. I'm saying that as a disclaimer for if and when I say things that uh, might rub you the wrong way or might set off alarms that might run counter to your personal experience and identification with the stories and characters in scriptures. Now, this shouldn't be a shock to you if you've been listening to the New Living Translation for a while. And if you haven't, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, it's all back there in the archives. Back in season one, we had an episode entitled Stuff's Not Fair in Love and War. And it dealt with the story as told in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. The infamous story of David and Bathsheba. Now, this story is a turning point in many biblical narratives because if it wasn't clear before, it's when we learn exactly how raggedy David is. I think we need to put that bluntly and in plain terms that David, the son of Jesse, the grandbaby of Obed, the great grandbaby of Ruth and Boaz was a scrub. Like by the time we get to this part of David's story, and I'm going to try to keep it brief because who knows, I might need to do a couple translations on a few of these stories. But by the time we get to the story of Bathsheba, David already has at least seven wives and baby mamas. As a matter of fact, uh, right around wife number two, I believe, he on the way home, like from the wedding, on the honeymoon, he picks up another wife. Like he's just out of control. He throwing that thing like Nick Cannon out here. Like one way or another, David is determined that he gonna have himself a nation, you hear me? Anyway, by the time we get to this story, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David, he of seven wives and baby mamas, multiple heirs and spares, sees this sister bathing. I don't, I don't know how he came to be in a position to see her um, in such a vulnerable capacity but he sees her and the bible describes this lady as fine says the Bathsheba was beautiful and David sends some folks to go looking after her like yo who that is and they find out and it's actually the wife of one of his officers it's the wife of Uriah the Hittite meaning that somebody who is on the daily laying their life out to secure his kingdom it's it's their wife and David's like cool I don't care go get that lady and they go and bring her. There's no notion of consent or any agency on Bathsheba's behalf. But anyway, David has his way with her. He impregnates her. Word gets back to him that she is pregnant. By the way, it says the word gets back to him. Like she has to send a message. There's no indication that there's any substantive relationship between the two of them. Uh, and David's like, oh, snap. I done goofed a little bit, huh? Like it's going to be a bad look if you get out that I'm going around 
knocking up all my officers' wives. So he arranges to have Uriah like, killed in battle, basically. And it's a whole hot mess. There's a prophet, Nathan, who tells this story um, indicting David for the wrong that he has done. And David goes into this full-fledged repentance. Anyway, that's the background here. But one problem I've consistently had with this is that even knowing that David has this inside of him, that he's capable of this, he's described as a man after God's own heart. And if the scriptures are going to have any validity to us, any moral weight or authority behind them, that has to be addressed in some way, shape or form. But wouldn't you know it that in the book of Psalms, this Psalter, this collection of songs and poems that are shared in times of corporate worship, there's a psalm that is specifically addressed to this instance. Psalm chapter 51, in fact, has the header for the choir director. A Psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And just a little note for you, the word that is translated as adultery in that instance, um, it actually means that time that David went into or the time that he entered Bathsheba. So adultery is almost a sort of a letting him off the hook. Yeah, he committed adultery against all of his wives and baby mamas, but um, it almost implies a level of consent that the text doesn't really give us. But without further ado, here's some bona fide Bible talk on Psalm 51. Let's do this. God, please show me your grace. Because you're the God who's love never fails because you the God whose mercy knows no limits paint over my sins scrub the grimy off of me wash this evil out of my soul I know I done messed up it's all I can ever think about it's only you I done wrong God I done evil by you so whatever you say about me is fair that's what justice is. I was born messed up. It was bad news when my mama got knocked up with me. Look, you want truth from the depths of my soul. That's how you give me wisdom. Make me clean enough for community. If you wash me, I'm whiter than snow. Let me hear joyful things again so I don't stay in this broken state. Don't stare at all my mess. Help me paint a new portrait. Give me a new heart, God. Give me a faithful spirit in my core. Don't kick me out your company. Don't snatch your Holy Spirit from me. Make me happy you saved me again. By your spirit, help me stand up. Then I can show the real you to raggedy folks like me. And the grimy one's gonna turn to you. I got blood on my hands. And only you can forgive me. And when you do, I'll sing songs about the justice of the God who saves. God, if you open my lips, praise is gonna pour out. Ritual sacrifices ain't nothing to me. But that's not what you after. Burn animals? won't do nothing for you. Nah, what you really want from me is my spirit broken down and a humble heart 
You ain't turning that down, God. Smile on Zion. Bless your city, God. Build Jerusalem up. Then the right offerings, justice poured out for you, that'll make you smile. Then our rituals might hold real weight again. Now off the bat, we gonna keep it funky. I'm gonna let y'all know that I'm still not all the way jiggy with how some of this stuff is being portrayed. Like even in the Bible, some of that stuff sounds funky to me. For instance, Psalm 51 verse four, the psalmist says, against you and you alone have I sinned. In my translation that came out as, it's only you I done wrong, God. But if you look at what the psalmist says this psalm is addressing, like if you look at that actual story, I have a hard time agreeing with that, right? Like, he sinned against Uriah, who is now dead. He sinned against Bathsheba, who became a widow because of him right before she won the consolation prize for becoming his eighth or ninth wife, depending on who's counting. He sinned against his officers, who now have to wonder if their wives are being, as the text says, entered into every time they're out fighting his battles. He sinned against all of the women who now have to wonder if they'll be sent for every time they take a bath. It seems to me like a whole bunch of people got sinned against here. And I guess for me, it's frustrating seeing the psalmist try to, it almost seems like minimize this. Like, no, it's only against God. And it's frustrating for me because I've been in situations where I've been wronged and somebody else ends up accepting apology that I feel should have gone to me. But when I take a step back and I try to look at the forest instead of the trees, something new comes into light for me. Uh, I didn't put this in the translation, but I talked about it earlier that the heading says for the choir director, a Psalm of David for the choir director, a Psalm of David for the choir director, a Psalm of David. This Psalm, this poem, this offering, this scripture is not for David, it's for us. David was merely a vehicle used to communicate the depths of what we are capable of doing to one another and to our communities. And so what this psalm does is it looks at the transgression, at the sin, at the monumental, I almost cussed just now, at the monumental mess up of the leader of this people of Israel and the people of Judah, it looks at that as a frame of what we are capable of doing when we do not have the heart of God in us. Why is David called a man after God's own heart? Because when we are confronted with the reality of who David was and what he was capable of, it lets us know what we need to be asking God for. God, create in me a clean heart heart. Give me a new spirit. Please don't kick me out of your presence. Don't remove me from this land. Give me your spirit. Give me new things to see. Lord, let me be happy again because I cannot be happy under the weight of my own depravity. Now, it's important for me to note that I don't think that this is a universal sort of depravity we're talking about here. I don't know about y'all, but I don't typically go sending for other people's wives and then murdering their husbands after I impregnate them. This is some real OD stuff we're talking about here. But when you look at how this psalm is actually composed, it's not really talking about that specific instance. And why do I say that? 
If you get to the ending, we're not talking about David anymore. It says, build up Zion, uh, build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then we can get back to sacrificing. It's almost as if to say that there is something broken about our community because of what we've allowed to be normalized in our hearts. As if to say, until we look in the mirror and address the reality of who we are, the best that we have to offer is hollow. And so, beloved of God, I offer you this. Until we spend time sitting with how our thoughts, our words, our habits, our actions, our deeds, our character. Impact all of the people around us. Until we can see how our own ethics and politics and policies are endangering people around the world in ways that we can't even fathom. Until we accept that reality for what it is, I suspect that God would always spend some time grieving that we will not allow God to create in us a clean heart and a steadfast spirit. And so the solution is not in ignoring the reality of the mess we find ourselves in, but in asking God to help us paint a new portrait where we can see things in new ways but we can experience joy in ways that bring us wholeness. And we can tell everybody about the God who saves. Translation is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. You can follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. That's the number three, not spelled out, black men. You can find me on all social media platforms at Pastor Trey 05. That's Pastor Trey 05. Don't send me no Facebook requests, though. Like, I don't be over there. That's the bad place. This work has been made possible by a community of folks who've chosen to show their support through generosity. You can join us at patreon.com slash three black men. Spell three out that time, though. Patreon.com slash three black men. There you can find even more original content from Sam, Rob, and yours truly. Make sure you subscribe to, rate, and review the New Living Translation and Three Black Men wherever you get your podcast. And remember, real recognize real. Don't get caught looking unfamiliar.